Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Hope you're having a good week wherever you are on our beautiful uh, big blue planet. My week has been absolutely insanely crazy and today's been absolutely insanely crazy busy. But still, I wanted to sit down talk Formula One for a little bit because it's about the only way I'll feel normal at the moment, <laughs> rushing from one thing to another. Anyways, uh, let's just get right into the show this week. There's uh, plenty of news, plenty of things to talk about, and there's some good news right off the top of the bat, and that is that uh, Nikki Lauda, the non-executive chairman of Mercedes, has been released from hospital in Vienna after being admitted a couple of weeks ago following a flu-like uh, infection. He was uh, on holiday over Christmas in uh, Ibiza with uh, with his family, and uh, he was uh, he was admitted into the, the hospital in Vienna. He was flown back to Austria more as a precaution because of course he uh, underwent that lung transplant uh, last summer and uh, the the doctor that was looking after him said that uh, there was no point that he was uh, there was any risk to his life they were just being extra cautious uh, because his uh, immune system is still uh, a little bit weakened and, and compromised so uh, it was uh, said uh, a week or so ago that uh, Nikki was supposed to be on the pit wall in the garage at uh, the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne in about two months time whether or not uh, that is going to happen remains to be seen but of course we wish him all the very best and of course health uh, comes first and family comes first so hopefully uh, he's uh, completely recovered and back uh, in the, the Formula One paddock before we know it. So, talking about uh, Nicky Lauda, let's talk about his former team. Of course, uh, he drove for Ferrari many years ago, and the fallout after uh, Maurizio Arriva Bene was mutually parted ways with last week, if you want to call it that, still is uh, rolling around, and uh, there's uh, some talk uh, and has been uh, rejected uh, that uh, the, by the Ferrari uh, president, uh, John uh, Elkan, that there is no rift and there's no further problems going on and no further their management upheaval that uh, was even suggested that they might uh, call in a uh, former uh, team boss Stefano Domenicali who's now the CEO over at uh, Lamborghini to come in and help them out because there was other rumors that CEO Louis Camilleri's position was under um, fire and uh, it really just seems to be a, a lot of drama at the moment so who knows you know maybe read somewhere between the two lines and maybe there is maybe there isn't but uh, definitely we're, we're seeing I think the repercussions and 
and the uh, the, the fallout after that uh, disastrous uh, season. And I think it's pretty obvious that uh, Ferrari themselves, even though they, they might not be publicly saying it, realize that uh, they should have won at least one world championship uh, last year, either drivers or constructors, take your pick. But uh, obviously there was a, a lot of things going on uh, behind the scenes. And although uh, Sebastian Vettel gets um, a lot of flack and, uh, and a lot of criticism, of course, uh, a lot of it is uh, obviously well-deserved and or at least uh, well-aimed and, and pointed at him, the, the, the criticism, because he is uh, quite... Well, he should be accountable for some of the mistakes that uh, that he made at different times during the season in 2018, because it was a snowball effect, and there there were multiple things going on, and of course uh, the team themselves and some of the management and the tactical decisions that they made. Uh, well, Hockenheim was one where they uh, didn't react uh, fast enough; he stayed out way too long, and of course crashed out. The other one that comes to mind was uh, qualifying at the Italian Grand Prix at Monza when they always did this thing on the I guess in in Q3 where they kind of switch it up and uh, Raikkonen and and, um, and Vettel would go and one would get the benefit of the toe over the other one and uh, it looked like Vettel had um, beaten Raikkonen at that time but <laughs> Kimi put in one heck of a lap to take the pole position and of course when it came to the race Vettel's race was over by the first lap, well, before the first lap was even done, he was knocked out of contention after tangling with uh, Lewis Hamilton, which, of course, probably was an avoidable situation. So we will have to see if uh, anything else changes at uh, Ferrari. Of course, we still have... uh, uh, the, the 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 basics of it that uh, Arriva Bene is gone, and uh, Mattia Bonato, who we talked about last week, is the team boss, and uh, there is some restructuring going on there. Whether or not um, they are done is uh, another story. And now Martin Brundle, the uh, T- ex driver turned TV pundit, who's uh, been on the job doing color commentary for quite a very long time ago, uh, really believes that uh, and he he called it quote things weren't right at Ferrari last week in uh, the wake of um, Maurizio Arriva Bene being mutually parted ways with as a team principal. And, uh, well, Martin, I think he, he made a good point. And he said, of course, you can draw a lot of conclusions, but of course, you don't really get the the uh, the, the true and the full picture without being inside the organization in, in question. Of course, Martin would be uh, have a, a better look and uh, maybe a, a better viewpoint than, uh, than, than most of us, being the, the, the fact that he is a former Formula One driver and he's uh, still obviously commentating on TV. But uh, you can use what uh, what uh, you see on the outside and and probably draw a fair amount of logical and uh, probably fair conclusions from that. And uh, I think that uh, it may be a little bit of an understatement, uh, what, what Brundle is saying, that uh, things weren't right at Ferrari. I think obviously they weren't. And, uh, well, when we were just talking just now about uh, Vettel crashing out at the German Grand Prix last year, that really was the, the, the turning point. It seems right there. I mean, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, but it really seemed then that the uh, his his world championship was really hanging by, by a thread at that point. Uh, Hungary didn't go well before the summer break. And then, of course... It really looked like uh, coming back that there there was going to be uh, an exciting second half to the uh, to the season, but it was a bit of a flash in the ha- in the pan. Of course, uh, Vettel had an excellent race in in Spa and they totally dominated uh, Mercedes, but it was basically a, a one off, and uh, that things never really got back on a roll for him or Ferrari for the rest of the season. Of course, there was uh, one bright spot when uh, when Kimi won at the uh, U.S. Grand Prix at Austin later in the season, but by that point, it, it was pretty. Awesome obvious that uh, things uh, were, were really starting to, to come off. So 
it uh i think it is a fair comment uh, by martin brundle and uh of course well we will have to see if uh, things still go uh you know <laughs> are really going to uh to, to change there and uh, whether mattia bonato has enough time now before the start of the season to to really make an impact and and really really get the team pointed in the direction that uh, that he wants i mean he is the guy that uh, was the uh, one of the key figures in the revival over the past year or two so certainly he has the knowledge and the um, the, the the skills to do it whether or not he can do it from the the the, the big position the chief position as team principal of course uh, he's got a lot to, to to prove there but certainly he's proven that uh, he can design and build a, a good car so of course uh, he will have to um address the, uh, the, the the vacancy that he himself vacated to take his new job. And certainly we will see, uh, well, it won't be too long before we get off to uh, preseason testing. And of course, the first Grand Prix is only two months away. But still, the the, the timing, I thought, of um, Arriva Bene leaving Ferrari certainly was, uh, was very interesting. Uh, you would have thought that if they were planning to make a change, and I know publicly they were saying that uh, that the decision and the uh, the, the choice to uh, to part ways with Arriva Bene came after not only uh, I guess some soul searching on their own behalf, but also in uh, discussions with Arriva Bene himself. But you would think that uh, if if they were going to change a, a team principal, you'd want that change made as as soon as possible. And well, I mean we're we're basically halfway through the winter, halfway through the off season now. I mean the last. Grand Prix in Abu Dhabi was almost already two months ago, definitely six weeks ago. And uh, it seems like a, a very, very long time because although as fans, the, 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 the winter might seem like an eternity to us between uh, Abu Dhabi in, in one season and then Australia kicking off the new season, for the for the teams and the and the drivers and everybody that's preparing to contest the Formula One World Championship, I'm sure that time flies by, and I'm sure as as we speak and as we we listen to this podcast right now, that uh, there are people working very hard in uh, the Formula One world, getting prepared uh, for the new season ahead. So definitely two months it does not seem like a very long time in my mind for for Bonato to really uh, get things uh, sorted out and uh, well before we know what uh, Australia will be. Sticking with the Ferrari news, there is news that uh, Mick Schumacher is uh, close close to joining uh, Ferrari as a as a junior as a junior. Uh, sorry, tripping over my tongue. Like I said, it's uh, been a long day. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he's uh, set to join uh, Ferrari's young driver program. Uh, this has been uh, kind of going around the past couple of days as a rumor. So by the time you listen to this podcast, there may have uh, actually been an official announcement uh, made. So he's the 2018 European Formula Three champion, and of course Schumacher. Yes, his dad is Michael, a seven-time world champion and one of the best racing drivers, one of the best Formula One drivers of all time. And of, uh, of course, uh, Shumi himself, or Shumi Sr., I should say, won uh, five world championships with Ferrari from uh, the, the time period of 2000 to 2004. He won the other two with uh, Benetton in the 1990s. And um, there's been a, a story going around uh, that, uh, that Ferrari is, well, they've been quite uh, blunt and, and quite open about it. That they would uh, really, uh, really relish and uh, really jump at the opportunity to work with Mick Schumacher. He's only 19 years old, and it's interesting that 
Despite his pedigree and uh, despite the success, uh, success he's been jo- enjoying in the lower formulas over the past couple of years, and of course his uh, the, the the family name and uh, what his dad did, that he hasn't been uh, allied or linked uh, to an, a, another team. So it uh, it it seems obviously like a, a logical. Uh, choice. It seems like a natural fit uh, for both uh, Mick and uh, and Ferrari, and uh, well, it uh, could very well be that uh, one day we will see him in Formula One. I mean, certainly he's impressed uh, in his career so far. And at nineteen, I mean, well, you you look at some of the other guys that uh, that we're seeing in the youth uh, uh, movement in Formula One, and I think that's why it's a little bit interesting. You see, like uh, the likes of Charles Leclerc, and you see the likes of Max Verstappen um, a couple of years previously. Uh, uh, getting their crack in Formula One at a very young age. I mean, we got George Russell and Lando Norris, both uh, young guys. I mean, there's plenty of young drivers in the series right now, but uh, I, I just find it's uh, you know quite quite interesting that uh, that that Mick, despite uh, all the success that he's quietly been having uh, away from Formula One, is kind of getting in through the back door where some of the other guys have kind of progressed uh, quite uh, quite quickly. So definitely a situation to keep uh, an eye on as uh, time moves forward. So talking about uh, 2019, and of course one of the big things to to really keep an eye eye on once we get to, to the Australian Grand Prix in about two months from now is how the new uh, changes, rule changes for the front wings and uh, simplified barge boards and all these uh, these tweaks that they've made to the aero rules for, for 2019 are, are really going to uh, affect the cars. Of course, the goal is to uh, improve the, dis- uh, the dirty air, the disrupted uh, air behind the cars so the cars that are following are able to, um, to, to fight more and hopefully um, it's going to promote more overtaking and by that make Formula One more exciting because, well, there's been no shortage of uh, complaints and criticism over the years and rightfully so in many cases that that Formula One isn't uh, quite uh, exciting enough at, uh, at times. And uh, last year, uh, before the French Grand Prix, I think it was, it was definitely that time of year. I can't remember the exact date, but Formula One uh, did have a um, uh, an option to sort of force through these rule changes. They, they they didn't do it unilaterally. They they did consult with the teams and uh, where they were going, but uh, they were able to push these uh, rules through without uh, having to require all the um, the uh, I guess a uh, unanimous vote or approval from all the teams uh, to do so. So. It, it it'll really be um, interesting to see whether or not it's uh, going to make a difference because there really seems to be a lot of different uh, and varying opinions out there in the in the Formula One world at the moment. <clears throat> Excuse me. For example, Franz Tost, who's the uh, the team principal at uh, at Toro Rosso, he says that uh, he believes that uh, they should uh, slash uh, downforce by a minimum of forty to fifty percent, which will make the cars more unstable going into the corners. And basically, the only people or the only person that's uh, benefiting right now uh, from these uh, really high downforce cars are the drivers and uh, of course it makes for very quick cornering speeds which is uh, you know it's, it's really impressive don't get me wrong when you see how kind of quick these cars are going through the corners and the way that they just stick to the road is it, it's nothing short of amazing it really is astounding and uh, it, it is very very impressive but um, you know Tost's uh, theory is that of course if you take away that uh, of course it makes the cars more unstable the braking distances getting into the uh, going 
going into the corners are going to increase. So it, uh, you know, in, in theory, that should be a couple of the ingredients that uh, that, that could make uh, the opportunities to overtake uh, a, a lot more. I wouldn't say plentiful, but uh, definitely it should provide for for more more of those uh, situations. Now, if you look at uh, uh, Pat Simons, who's uh, been around Formula One for a very long time, and uh, he says that uh, slashing the downforce could leave uh, Formula One uh, no better off. And he said it's too easy for the uh, for the rule makers to slash the downforce levels to and and still fail to improve the racing because you know you kind of go from one extreme to the uh, to the other and there can be a lot of uh, unintended uh, consequences. So you go almost from the, uh, when you look at what Tost is saying by reducing um, downforce by a, a minimum of 40 to 50%, which is of course half of what uh, the cars are generating now, obviously. <laughs> There's some pretty elementary math there, of course. Uh, but he's, he's basically saying, you know, you're going from, from one situation to the, uh, to the, the other extreme. And uh, by doing so, you may have have a, a lot of unintended uh, consequences that, uh, that, that may actually leave you worse off in the situation that you found yourself in uh, before. And he says that he, he wants to see the cars to be quick. He wants to see them uh, be uh, spectacular. But if there's too much uh, um, uh, ground or downforce, and he says he calls it that the, the cars are basically being nailed to the ground, there isn't anything really particularly spectacular. I, I guess that there's obviously a bit of a difference of opinion there. I find it quite uh, impressive to see that. But I guess when, when you're on the inside, you know, all the ins and outs, and you can see some of the or at least have some ideas on how to improve the situation then maybe if you're like Simons you're going to see it from a, a completely different uh, point of view I mean certainly the way that uh, I think that Formula One is going around there or going about the idea of trying to make a racing uh, more uh, closer to make it more exciting in the short term I think it's well intentioned don't get me wrong I think it's a it's a very noble and I think it's a very uh, positive step and I'm glad that there was consultations uh, from the team and there, at least at the time last year, there seemed to be some positive feedback. But we really don't know how it's going to work out. I mean, if there's going to ever be a person that's going to be able to figure it out or have a good idea, of course, it's going to be Ross Braun, the uh, the, the motorsport uh, director at uh, at Formula One. I mean, Ross's uh, expertise and his record as a, a designer and uh, as a team principal is un- unquestioned and unparalleled. I mean, he's um, got a phenomenal resume and what he's done in Formula One and, and other forms of motorsport is uh, it's been spectacular. But of course, uh, you can come up with these ideas, you can model them in the computer. But how that's uh, really going to uh, turn out when you have 20 cars on the grid in racing conditions uh, come uh, March 17th or whatever it is, is going to be a completely different story. So uh, the, the the jury is very much still out on this and uh, whether or not it's going to uh, make a difference remains to be seen. And uh, Simon, he actually goes on to say that uh, he believes uh, that uh, that the situation would have gotten worse without the uh, the, the changes that uh, that they've uh, implemented for, for 2019. And uh, well, <laughs> again, he's another guy that uh, knows what he's talking about. And uh, he is a technical expert in, in Formula One. And if he believes that if uh, that if they hadn't made these changes, regardless if it's going to have the, the complete uh, effect or transformation that people are expecting of course like i say that's that that remains to be seen but i think that uh, if if you have a guy like pat simon sitting up and saying well uh, if they didn't make these changes formula one was going to be a lot worse off so worst case scenario 
yeah, <laughs> things would have gotten worse. Best case scenario, you're going to have a complete uh, transformation and overnight it's going to be a, a much more exciting series with a lot more opportunities for, for overtaking. But I think somewhere in, in the middle is probably the more likely answer, the more likely scenario that there will be some changes, there will be some improvements, but it may not be huge as huge or as big as people are expecting. I mean, if it makes it more exciting, it makes more uh, chances for opportunity or passing opportunities. I think that's great. And I think that's uh, where it's at. But I think realistically, we're kind of in um, a bit of a limbo at the moment. Uh, Of course, the current Concord Agreement expires at the end of 2020. So Formula One is looking at um, at, at 2020 on and beyond. So they've got this this long-term vision that they want to accomplish. And there's been a a lot of different uh, ideas that they've already put forth uh, to the teams. And uh, what we talked about on the show last week that Ross Braun was saying himself that He's satisfied in the, uh, the the directions that the discussions and the the, the way that things for post twenty twenty one are uh, or post twenty twenty are are really going. And but he was just dissatisfied with the amount of time that it's taking uh, to to really get things uh, going. It, it it almost sounds like I wouldn't say glacial, but uh, definitely at uh, at a snail's pace. And uh, well. <laughs> Just the fact that the, the that there is so much input and the, uh, the the direction seems to be positive, to me is a uh, well, it's a positive uh, development in a, in a sport that's uh, full of politics and uh, of course. It's traditionally and historically been a sport where the teams cannot really agree on anything. So at least if they're they're having these discussions, they're talking about it, and it's looking good, and they're going in the right direction, then I think that's a that that's a positive step. And uh, well, <laughs> who knows what uh, they're going to come up with uh, for 2021? And I look for one, look forward to it. Uh, you do hear uh, different things coming out. How about they want to simplify the engines and uh, further changes to the uh, to the uh, to the arrow rules? Of course they're going to be changing the size of the wheels there's so many different things that are going on and we those are the things we just know about these are the things that have been discussed publicly these are some of the things that have been uh, leaked out so who knows what uh, what the final version will be but uh, certainly um, at least theoretically we are going in the right uh, direction but there was one person and that's um, the the racing point technical uh, director Andy Green that uh, he says that the relatively uh, small rule changes have really impacted the car's uh, performance and balance a lot, is what uh, he's saying. He said that uh, basically they were thought uh, that when they first put the car into the wind tunnel that they were going to lose a couple of seconds for lap times, which we've seen lap times actually get quicker over the past couple of years. And uh, not only are they losing a couple of seconds of lap times, uh, and the, it's actually turning out these uh, different changes are really affecting the uh, the, the balance of the, uh, of the car. And he's... Uh, Green has actually gone on to say that he considers it the worst possible outcome. He said that uh, he hopes that there will be some positives uh, in respect to closer racing. And uh, he said that uh, the racing point is like all the other teams in uh, in Formula One. They're trying to, um, it almost makes it sound like that they feel like they're, or he feels like they've done a bit of a deal with the the, the, the devil. And he said that uh, that they're trying to crawl their way out of the hole that we jumped into with the new regs. So not really a, a ringing endorsement, but it's a surprising just to, to hear from, from somebody that's uh, right there 
and uh, involved, uh, you know, intimately with the design and uh, the 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 evolution uh, and build of this uh, this new car for Racing Point, is uh, basically saying that these uh, little tweaks and little changes to the aero rules for next year are having such a a, a big impact that is uh, really almost made it to feel like a complete redesign of the car when it's not really, but just a re- you know the 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 changes they're making have really affected it as it were as if it were a redesign of the uh, the, the entire car so it uh, really mixed uh, opinions uh, depending on, on who you're talking to or who's uh, who's really weighing in on the situation and again we'll find out two months from now australia it's coming soon and uh, just sort of talking, this is sort of a, a bit of a related story, but um, I, I thought it was a little bit uh, interesting. And uh, Gunter Steiner, who's the, the the team principal at Haas, saying that uh, he believes, and I think he's hinting more a little bit maybe at his uh, long-term uh, involvement in the sport. And he says that uh, he believes that there's no point staying in F1 without uh, change. And, uh, well, Haas has uh, sort of been touted as a bit of a Ferrari t- uh, B team. And, um, well, of course, they're one of those uh, middle, sort of uh, middle of the pack kind of teams but uh gunter was saying that uh, he believes that if there's no room for improvements and uh what's the point of putting in all the the, the hard work and uh, traveling to a couple of dozen uh, different countries and different cities over the course of 10 months or nine and a half months whatever it is uh, over the course of a season really makes him question whether or not it's uh, it's worth it to, to stick in the sport uh, in the long run. And you can understand that. I mean, we kind of sit here on the uh, on the outside and kind of think, oh, wow, you know, well, some of us, I'm, I'm one of these people who uh, sit here and think, oh, wow, he, what's he talking about? He's probably got one of the best jobs in the world. Why would you ever want to walk away from that? But of course, it might be uh, more glamorous. It might be sexier. It might be Formula One, whatever, right? It's uh, we, We've all been in this situation at one point in our lives where where something just isn't challenging anymore, or the motivation is gone, uh, whatever the uh, whatever the reasons are, it just isn't any fun, or there's no room to improvements. I mean, we've all probably changed jobs at some point. I mean, for, <laughs> did any of us really want to stick in that job that we we felt that there was no room for improvement, no room for for personal growth? Uh, no, <laughs> and I, for one, have uh, have left a job before in the past because I felt like uh, that I could come into work for the next twenty five years and nothing would ever change. There would be no room for for advancement or improvement. And I guess on a, on a slightly bigger and cooler scale, I guess that's what uh, what Gunter is uh, thinking about too. Maybe not so much that is that his job per se is is not interesting and varied, but I think maybe more the results as uh, what uh, what Haas is achieving on the. Tra- Track that you know you put in all this uh, this hard work and all this dedication, all the the sacrifice on the personal front, and the team is just not really able to 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 make gains on the the competitors, and uh, and really become a challenger. Which uh, you know that that's really what it's all about. Formula One's about uh, winning. It's about uh, about scoring points. And if it's a, a struggle, I guess in, in the long run, everything would get maybe get a, a, a little bit uh, boring, or maybe a, a little stale, and maybe make you want to rethink your involvement in the long term. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, moving along, let's talk about McLaren now. There's been uh, certainly no shortage of uh, discussion about McLaren. And Zach Brown, the CEO, is anticipating what he calls a good car in uh, in 2019. And uh, he really believes that uh, that they've made some uh, some strides and improvements over the season. And of course, a little bit non-committal, saying that although that he believes that uh, they've met all their targets and they've achieved what they want to, 
it really is uh, dependence like on what the other nine teams in the paddock have uh, what what gains they've made on their cars if any uh, over the uh, over the season or over the off season getting ready for for 2019 and of course uh, that is the the, the big unknown and we we'll, uh, maybe I'm a little bit naive at times but I always get to this time of year and really have expectations that are well maybe based more on nothing on my own uh, personal opinions and loyalties and desires to see one team do well and then of course uh, when the lights go green in Australia well Australia is a bit of a funny track because uh, Melbourne really isn't the, the the best track out there for 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 passing but you know that being said there there really have not been or there really have been a, a couple of races over the years that were were truly forgettable last year was one of them of course only made memorable by the fact that uh, that Sebastian Vettel won that and the bizarrest of circumstances passing Lewis Hamilton in the pits by virtual of uh, by virtue of a virtual safety car so <laughs> whether whether or not uh, all the changes uh, that uh, that that are coming and, and the uh, the improvements that McLaren has uh, made who knows maybe we'll see it uh, manifest in Australia but not always the best race uh, for an indication we might have to wait a, a race or two later to Bahrain or China or one of those early season races to see where they're where they're truly at and uh, just going back uh, earlier, Martin Brundle was talking about uh, how he felt that things weren't quite right at uh, Ferrari. He also had to weigh in that uh, he believes that M- McLaren and Williams are in what he calls an F1 void between the, the, the works teams and the B teams. Of course, you have your, uh, your, your works teams like your Ferraris and then your Saubers and your, your Haases, teams like that. Then, of course, you have your Red Bull and your Toro Rosso's. And then you have these privateers, these other constructors like McLarens and, and Williams, and they kind of uh, fall in between, uh, although they do have uh, quite substantial budgets. Um, they're not quite as uh, deep or as bottomless as, say, a Mercedes or Ferrari or maybe even a Red Bull to some extent. And then also the uh, the, the, the the B teams that, that benefit from hand-me-downs, if you want to call it that. I mean, especially if you uh, look and see some of the, the the, the different things that have been said uh, about Toro Rosso and Red Bull and the partnership that they have. And there was another uh, story just talking about that. We'll get to it in a minute here. But, uh, you know, there, there's going to be more standardized parts uh, on the Toro Rosso this year that come from Red Bull. And, of course, you know, they will have the same Honda engines in, in both cars. And, uh, you know, McLaren and Williams, they don't have that uh, that benefit. So are they really uh, have the same resources as a Ferrari or a McLaren, sorry, a, a Ferrari or Mercedes to develop and design their car? Probably not. And then they don't have the benefit of uh, being able to use some of these common technologies uh, and, and common parts that uh, that they might benefit if they had a, uh, a relationship with uh, with, a, with a team, like one, one of the big ones. And of course, they're going to be, I, I'm sure if you ask anyone at uh, McLaren and Williams that uh, they, they feel that they should be in that conversation, but uh, definitely they're stuck a little bit in, in the middle. And uh, to a certain extent, I, I think that they're also maybe caught a little bit on the outside and uh, they're, they're kind of looking into the situation because they're just not uh, really able to, to keep up. So they're going to have to find other ways to be competitive and really bring that fight back to the Red Bulls and Mercedes and Ferraris of the world. Uh, definitely a, a difficult uh, situation. 
And then uh, just uh, one more uh, McLaren note to uh, science. Carlos Sainz, that is, uh, believes that his uh, evolution as a driver at Renault will help at uh, McLaren. He felt, felt that uh, uh, during his time at, uh, at Toro Rosso, maybe he plateaued a little bit, uh, but certainly the year and a bit that uh, he spent at, uh, at, uh, at Renault uh, definitely was a, a big, uh, big benefit uh, to him. And he re- really feels like he'll be able to uh, apply the lessons uh, that he learned there and the things that, uh, that he improved upon and uh, take it to McLaren. So, I mean, if, if Zach Brown is going out around right now and saying that he believes that they have a good car, of course, uh, one of the, uh, the, the the tricks to doing well in Formula One is being able to develop that car and uh, improve upon it uh, throughout the season. Of course, you need uh, some experienced, and well, maybe not just uh, experienced, but definitely a driver that understands the cars and understands the engineering and understands uh, how the different um, changes will affect the car on the track and how it handles in uh, you know his his role as a driver in doing that and uh, well maybe uh, science has uh, matured quite a bit maybe he can be that guy I mean definitely he's going to have to be because I mean he's going to be partnered with uh, Lando Norris who is a, a promising uh, young fellow but uh, of course a rookie in uh, in Formula One and I did lie. I, uh, <laughs> there is one more uh, piece of uh, McLaren news. And uh, this came out literally when uh, I published the show for, for last week. And it, it always seems to happen too on my other podcast uh, that, uh, that that covers the Vancouver Whitecaps in uh, in Major League Soccer. And it, it, it never fails. It seems every time we do that show and we have a show to release that uh, as soon as the show is out there for download and people start listening to it, we start getting feedback because, you know, we've missed one <laughs> A new story one way uh for for one reason or another and that's uh, always uh, a bit of the uh you know timeliness is a key i mean this, this is recorded live to tape and it's uh always meant to be a sort of a, a sports talk radio format of discussion and uh analysis and uh, updates and things like that but unfortunately just because it sounds like you're listening to it on the radio <laughs> doesn't mean that it's live so unfortunately things uh, can sometimes get a little bit uh, lost in the shuffle but anyways uh, McLaren have pointed at Andreas Seidel, who's uh, the man that's helped uh, guide Porsche to multiple world endurance championship t- titles and a uh, Le Mans victory. So he'll take over all aspects of the Formula One operation and he'll report to uh, Zach Brown. And uh, it's part of their, their long-term strategy to reach the, the, the pinnacle of uh, Formula One. And uh, well, I mean, they've been kind of stuck and regressing and kind of been um, stuck in the mire for several years now. And he will join uh, the, the team at some point in in 2019 they haven't uh, committed to a date other than it will happen sometime this year and then also um, they haven't confirmed the start date for new technical chief uh, James Key who was signed from Toro so last year but um, it was he was released eventually by Red Bull although they were a little bit uh, reluctant uh, to let him out of his uh, his contract it was uh, talking about Red Bull now. Uh, they found a way, they say, to reinvigorate um, uh, Adrian Newey in, in Formula One. And uh, this has uh, been helped, uh, at least in part, by their switch uh, to Honda engines uh, for this year. And uh, kind of, uh, <laughs> I find that a bit of an interesting statement uh, that uh, someone who's in Formula One would uh, would find it difficult to stay motivated, especially somebody like uh, Adrian Newey. But I mean, he's been de- designing really, really good cars for for a very, very long time. But uh, I, I guess everybody needs their their own challenges. But uh, Dr. Helmut Marco, of, who of course is the uh, the guy, the big man there at uh, at Red Bull Racing, and uh, if uh, if he's encouraged that uh, that that, that Newey. Uh, 
is reinvigorated uh, and he, he's feeling challenged, then that's uh, that that's really good news. And of course, uh, what with the Honda engines, if uh, if he sees a lot of potential there, that uh, if you're a fan of uh, of Red Bull and Max Verstappen, especially, I think that's uh, that's exciting for for this year. And I just hinted to it a, a few minutes ago, and uh, just uh, about the the whole uh, works and B teams things, and uh, the the story I was uh, hinting at is uh, that uh, Toro Rosso are willing to take more uh, what they're calling sacrifices for the sake of uh, Red Bull, and take uh, engine penalties and grid penalties and things like that if it helps speed the development of the uh, of the Honda engine, and that was uh, partly uh, happened last year with uh, Brendan Hartley and uh, Pierre Gasly. Uh, they they were really pushing the engine at time and uh, at times and uh, of course they, they they paid for it having to replace engines or different components on there after there were mechanical failures, but I guess in the long run if uh, you're Toro Rosso and you're you know you're there and you're not going to win a world championship, but uh, you're obviously there to um, I would say make up the numbers. That's uh, not really fair. It's a little bit cruel, but uh, it, you know if you're there in that junior role certainly to to, to Red Bull uh, Racing the, the the big the mother team if you want to call them that. And uh, and you can help them along because there there would be obviously a uh, a mutual benefit because if they're pushing the engines and Honda's getting uh, getting data out of that and they're improving upon them and uh, the engines are getting better, of course that's going to have a, a benefit for, for Red Bull who of course uh, this year um, or last year had the Renault engines. They'll be going uh, with the, the the Renault engines starting for this year. If that's helped them along, then it's it's mutually beneficial for for both of them both of them because if Red Bull gets a better engine then that means uh, the that the penalties and the sacrifices that Toro Rosso had to make were also uh I guess they'd be worth it in the end because you're getting a new and improved and uh, theoretically better Honda engine as well now you remember this do you remember the shoving match between Esteban Ocon and Max Verstappen last year after the Brazilian Grand Prix when uh, they, they collided and uh, well Max was uh, looking to, to to win that race but uh, Ocon decided to unlap himself and then as they were going through the uh, the Senna S's there the first uh, I guess turns one and two at Interlagos they collided and uh, Max was uh, seeing red and then uh, they got into a shoving match afterwards. Uh, Max uh, he was uh, was the aggressor in that uh, situation uh, there, there's no doubt about about it anyways um the, the the fallout from that was that he had to do two days of community service and uh that was handed down by the uh as, as punishment so he served the first day of that and if you're thinking maybe he was going to be out there you know <laughs> at some sort of pu- doing some public service announcements for wearing seatbelts or you know not playing with your phone at uh, at the stoplight well it wasn't that he uh, spent one day with the stewards at uh, the e-pre at marrakesh last week the formula uh, e-race and uh, he said it was a, a very constructive thing for me and uh, he he said that uh, in an FIA statement, he said it was interesting to see it from the other side. Normally, you can't spend an entire day uh, with uh, with the stewards. So it, it was interesting, too, because uh, he said that he was able to experience different things in racing rather than sitting in the car. And then uh, just being able to get that different perspective uh, was uh, was very uh, was uh, was a very constructive thing. And uh, he said that um, he also uh, called Formula E a, a cool championship or a cool series. Uh, he said he's he's followed it uh, quite a bit, but uh, he hasn't had a chance to to be there in the paddock uh, yet or be, be up close during a race. So he said that uh, you know there's a lot of manufacturers there. There's a lot of cool technology and things like that. And he said it's a it's a cool series. 
And I guess that will be the big question. I mean, uh, you, you look now and the, the, the move to um, uh, electric cars and getting away from, from gas and uh, internal combustion engines in, in, in cars that we drive each and every day is on. And lots of countries uh, are moving towards, uh, you know, not, not allowing um, you know, gas-powered cars or diesel-powered cars on the road by, by a certain date. So what will be the, 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 form, the, uh, the, the future of uh, Formula One? Will they eventually switch to uh, electric engines? Uh, will it become a, a rival to Formula E? Will Formula E become a rival to Formula One? That's a really deep question, and I don't think that's one I'm really prepared to uh, to, to take on at the moment. Uh, honestly, I don't really know uh, too much uh, about Formula E. The, the, the big problem is that here in Canada, at least in the English-speaking part of Canada, there really isn't uh, anywhere I can turn on Formula E and sit down and watch. I mean, you can get the, the highlights on YouTube and, and stuff like that, but um, certainly it's not at that uh, that level yet where it's uh, it's readily available and convenient to to watch it uh, at any time and honestly formula 1 is a is a bit of a niche sport in Canada as it is it's it's kind of funny when i look now you know we're going into the fourth year of this uh, the, this podcast and it was never really intended to be well you know i hope we get uh, you know the, the the biggest audience in in whatever country but it's kind of funny uh, just we thought well we'll do this show and uh, it's just for for formula 1 fans regardless if you're in canada like uh, like kevin and myself are or if you're in south africa or you're in china you're in france Wherever you may be, I mean, this this show is basically by Formula One fans for Formula One fans, and uh, we, we never really set out to have specific goals. But uh, that being said, it's interesting how here at home in our own country in Canada, we're not you know the, the listenership is very small compared to uh, other parts of the world. I mean, over sixty percent of you that that, that listen and enjoy the show each of every week are are listening in the United States of uh, America, and that is the biggest. Uh, market the biggest audience that we have uh, by by a country mile, so it's it's kind of funny the way that uh, that they uh, that it's really uh, grown and kind of the, the audience has kind of shaped itself. But uh, regardless, if you're in the United States or anywhere else, I mean, we appreciate all of you listening each and every week. I just uh, find it interesting sometimes to look at the stats and see uh, who's listening and what's parts of uh, the world. So that's definitely kind of a, a, a cool bit. But hey, I digress a, a little bit. Anyway, so time to start uh, wrapping it up and uh, just a, a couple more kind of Ferrari themed stories to, uh, to to round it up and uh, first of all Antonio Giovinazzi who's uh, gone to Sauber form a, a Ferrari uh, test driver says that uh, do not compare me to Charles Leclerc and Leclerc of course is the driver that vacated his seat at Sauber to take Kimi's seat at Ferrari who's taken the other seat at Sauber yes I know it gets confusing but uh, that's Formula One and uh, anyways uh, Giovinazzi said he will not try to replicate Charles' uh, success in Formula One as a rookie when he makes his full season debut with Sauber and coming up in uh, in a couple of months. Of course, uh, Giovinazzi isn't new to Formula One. We've uh, seen him fill in in the past. He had a couple of races in uh, in 2017 when he was filling in for Pascal Verlein, who was uh, had to miss a couple of races uh, due to uh, uh, an injury. Uh, I guess it was a concussion that he suffered in a crash at the ra- a race of champions uh, prior to that season. 
so we, we have seen him before, but of course, this is his first uh, full year in the series. So I guess it's be- best to be modest. Uh, I mean, if you don't know how you're going to uh, measure up against Charles Leclerc, don't say you're going to be as good as better uh, than Charles before you actually get a chance uh, to go out there. I mean, if he goes out there and proves that... Uh, that he's uh, just as good or better than Charles, then uh, good for him. And uh, if not, then it'll be proven to be a case that uh, it was better that he didn't make any uh, really braggadocious claims uh, before the season got started. Anyways, finally, uh, a real, I wouldn't say a milestone, but uh, I, I guess one is, it's one of those pieces of news that uh, kind of get your blood pumping uh, for the right reasons in anticipation of the new season. And that was uh, news uh, that came out earlier this week that Ferrari p- plans to run their new car before the first F1 test. And well, they only have so many test days each and every year, which is part of, I guess, the uh, the, the cost controls that they've introduced in Formula One. Uh, but they do have uh, a couple of promotional events that they're allowed to shake down their cars uh, before. For the, uh, the 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 first couple of tests that they have at uh, the Barcelona circuit in uh, in February, so they will uh, it'll uh, well I mean first of all the official launch for the the car that is called the six seventy internally at Ferrari uh, will be unveiled at Maranello on uh, February fifteenth, and then uh, they will run it on the track in uh, in Spain at Barcelona a couple of days after that. And then the first four-day test begins at um, at, uh, at Barcelona on February 18th. So uh, a couple of the key dates so far for the preseason and the launches. February 12th is the Renault launch, February th- followed by the uh, February 13th and Racing Points launch. Uh, McLaren is launching their car on uh, Valentine's Day, Ferrari on the 15th, and then the first preseason test goes from February 18th to 21st, and then the second preseason test is February 26th to March 1st, so it's coming quickly and about time. Can't wait. Anyways, that's a good place to, to leave it off for this week. Thank you so very much for listening to the show. If you want to get in touch, tweet me at f one pod Email me at f one pod at gmail.com. That's a wrap. Thanks very much for listening. Until next time, have a great week, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, SportsPodcastingNetwork.com. space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? 
Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?